0: Guys, uh, get your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the book of Job, Job chapter 1, and I need to tell you two quick things. First of all, uh, if you're interested in that little systematics course that I teach in January and July, this one in January, at, the, at last count, there were two open spots. So if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, you need to um, call my secretary soon. The other thing is this, guys. Um, you know, I've never made any claim at being uh, a great counselor or a, a, with great pastoral skills and all that business. But you do, after 40 years of ministry, you, you pick up certain things where the aches and the pains of God's people. And, and one of the things that our staff sees is an ache and a pain um, in and amongst God's people. And I was reminded of it recently through a, a very mature, uh, godly woman that I respect of their struggle with assurance, assurance of their own safety, the assurance of their own salvation. So before we go back to the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Galatians three. But before we do that, I'm going to spend five weeks on the subject of assurance of one's salvation. So guys, uh, we try to entice you to come on Wednesday nights, and we understand that's between you and the Lord. But I think I wanted to let you know what was going to be done. With, and the goal is simply to help you come to the place where, whereas assurance is not required, It is oh so, so enjoyable. And I want you to enjoy the safety of your own eternity. So come be with us on Wednesday night starting January the 7th. Now, follow as I read, uh, beginning at verse 1 of Job 1. It reads like this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that word, this word, this endures forever. You know, guys, uh, of all the things that I know about Job and all the things that you know about Job, and we know a lot about Job, Uh, it seems like the non-Christian world knows about Job, of all the things that I know about him, this is one of the most impressive, at least for me. Um, this little portion of the book, the first five verses describe, they give us a description of Job pre trial or pre calamity. Of course, when his whole life falls apart, beginning in verse six and, and onward, but this is a description of him before that, before that trial. And he, he was one happy man. He had a beautiful family. Uh, we're told he had seven sons and three daughters um, they were all comfortably settled themselves, that is, his, his uh, sons and daughters. They all owned their own homes. Um, they had children of their own. Job was a grandfather many times over, I'm sure. The picture that you're getting here in, in these first five verses is, is, is rather Norman Rockwell-like. It's, it's almost this, this idyllic picture of, um, of a blessed family. Job was a wealthy man, ladies and gentlemen, and I think we all know what, um, what wealth will do to you or can do to you. It doesn't happen always, but what wealth can do to you, it, um, it tends to make you um, high-minded. It tends to uh, make you think that my needs, whatever needs that I have, I can certainly meet them with through my own prosperity. That's not what you find in this man. That's not what you find. That's not the picture that you get of Job. One of the things also that was so impressive about this whole picture to me was this this family of his seemed to be an undivided family. These people seemed to like each other. I mean, um, unlike the the family of Abraham or David or Isaac that was fractured and had all these problems, um, or maybe unlike some of our families, uh, this family seemed to be united You know, Christmas has a way uh, of shining a light on all the cracks and the crevices in our families, does it not? I mean, the 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 Christmas card with a pretty picture on the front—that's one thing. Reality is often different. <laughs> but I'm simply saying that what you see here is a family that seemed that seemed to like each other. They would have these annual meetings, these annual get-togethers at the various homes, and what is probably uh, birthday parties. Uh, it says on their appointed days, which, I, which perhaps or probably is their birthdays. And, and they would do this several times a year, um, perhaps as much as 10 times a year as they move from house to house. So, um, just in summary, here's what we've got we've got a wealthy family. Um, That had a wealthy family that seems to be united. They seem to get along with one another. They're uh, visiting other family homes in celebration and in feasting, and very likely with a bit of gift exchange. Does that sound familiar? Um, much like what we've just experienced the past five to seven days. We call it Christmas. Families gathering, feasting, exchanging gifts, etc. Now, here's my point. I want you to notice what Job did after the celebration. Uh, we're told that um, afterwards he would. Um, he did something, and I want you to see it. But, but it's interesting what he did not do. His concern was not, did they like their gift? There, his, his concern was not whether uh, the dessert was any good, or whether the shirt fit, or the kids got along. His concern for his family after the celebration was about sin. Did my kids sin? Um, And to extrapolate a bit, will the new year, will it bring sin? Oh, it'll certainly bring temptation to sin. Gang, this is one fine family here. And about the best this dad could say about his family was this. It's in verse five, it may be; it probably is that they've sinned. So, what does he do? He um, he turns to God. He prays. He worships. He pleads with God um, uh, for his family, because he knew. That his family's biggest enemy was sin. And their best friend was obedience. Guys, um, please don't misunderstand me. I am by by no means suggesting that that, um, the Bible denounces celebrations. It does not. The Bible loves a party. There have been those in the kingdom of God who have suggested that that even Christmas is not something that Christians should be a, a, a part of. Uh, stay away from the theater, you know the Puritans used to say, and um, it was it was an ungodly thing, and so don't ever don't ever do that but but job is not trying to stop his family from celebrating, from feasting. but for job, he feared that a good thing might, in, might have included. A bad thing and that was his concern after just what we've after what we've all just experienced has that thought crossed your mind guys the bible is full of feasting uh there's a one with abraham recorded and samson and and david and hezekiah the old testament talks about the feast of trumpets it talks about the feast of lights you go to the new testament and you find and I think you all know that Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding feast the bible is not denouncing feast it's not dividing it's not denouncing celebrations in fact according to the book of revelation chapter 19 when we die we're going to wind up in a celebration in a feast a wedding feast of the lamb the problem is not the feast problem is, did our feasting, did our celebrating, did our partying include sin? You see, the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, Job knew something that I think you, that I hope you know, is that we all have a common ancestor. His name is Adam. Adam. And when Adam fell into sin, he took the rest of us with him. We have, and Job knew this about his kids, we have a sin nature. Guys, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's a part of our nature, guys. And so we're told that Job offered burnt offerings. He, he functioned as a priest for his family. He understood that the sin had been against God and that God was the only one with the remedy for their sin. And so he even, in a rudimentary way, forecast something about how sin was going to be dealt with. It was going to be dealt with, with some kind of shedding of blood. He sacrificed animals, ladies and gentlemen. This father was ever so concerned, ever so diligent over this matter of sin in himself and sin in his family. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen. Toying with sin is to court disaster. And some of us are sitting here this morning living in the disaster that we courted when we toyed with sin. The thing that is so impressive about these five verses to me is Job's dread of sin. So here's my suggestion. Anybody here looking for a new year's resolution? I have a suggestion. Um, I mean, you know, not the ones that we normally do about losing weight and, and getting organized and quit smoking, all that business. Here's one. Here's one that I want to recommend. Let's sin less. And, and the neat thing, ladies and gentlemen, about that resolution is that you can keep it. Not just for a week. Not just for 40 days. And, and let me tell you why. I, and very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, Christians are the only ones that can keep New Year's resolutions. But here's why we can. I want to mention three things as to why it is that we can keep the resolution that we're going to sin less. Number one, we're Christians. That doesn't mean we're elite, but it does mean that we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside us. And the Holy Spirit can steer us around those traps that Satan is setting for us. The Holy Spirit can enable us to succeed in our battle with temptation. He can help us subdue our flesh. Not just for a week. We have the Holy Ghost that lives inside of us, ladies and gentlemen. Secondly, the reason we can keep a New Year's resolution is because we have a book. We have a book that outlines for us what is and what isn't sin. This is, this is where we find out what righteousness looks like. The culture is going to give you a whole set of different definitions. For example, try to find some kind of biblical support for same-sex marriage in this book. You won't find it, ladies and gentlemen. It's not here. All I'm saying is, in terms of keeping a New Year's resolution to sin less, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit and then we have a book. A book that tells us what God does love and what he doesn't. guys, I have one other, one other reason why you and I as Christians can keep a new year's resolution, but I've never done this before. I've never read a passage this lengthy inside my sermon, but I'm going to do it this morning. I want you to go to Romans chapter six with me. I'm going to read you about 10 verses out of Romans chapter six, because here's the third reason, ladies and gentlemen, why you and I can keep a new year's resolution that we have the indwelling Holy spirit, that we have God's word. But here's the third reason we are in union with Jesus Christ and the great passage mentioning that union is right here in Romans six, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read you 10 verses. Um, I commented on these 10 verses over a 10-week period in Wednesday night Bible study. If, if you want to hear 10 weeks worth of discussion, you can go there online. All I'm going to do is read them and comment briefly. But let me read you <clears throat> these, these verse 5 of verse 14 about our union with Christ. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death... Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Guys, this is, this is a lengthy passage defining that you and I are in union with Christ. That's the third reason why we can keep a New Year's resolution. Because we're in union with Christ. I'm not going to try to explain it. It's pretty complicated text. But let me mention and observe three quick things. First of all, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Look at verse 10, uh, 9. He says, death no longer has dominion over him. Death no longer has dominion over Christ and I'm in union with him. Therefore, death has no more dominion over me. Sin has no more dominion over me. And so I reckon myself. I consider myself. I think of myself as being dead to sin. Oh, but Dr. Young, I am struggled with all these addictions to porn and you know, to drugs and uh, no, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not an addict. I know that at some point my body becomes my enemy and, and, and those things are hard to kick. Yes, but sin will not have dominion over me. That's not who I am. Will I sin? Sure. But I am not under the dominion of sin. I reckon myself. I think of myself as being dead to sin. Secondly, Look at verse 13. It says, do not. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Let me give you a synonym for members. Do not present your body parts. Don't use your body parts as instruments of unrighteousness. I'm not going to let you have my eyes. I'm not going to let you have my hands. You're not going to use them to do unrighteousness. I will not present them as instruments that will produce unrighteousness. I'm not going to do that. Do not present your body parts and other body parts as well, you know? And then finally, this little passage ends with this word, but the whole 10 verses is about grace. Go go wash yourself all over again in the provisions of God in Christ Jesus by sovereign grace. Go remind yourself what Jesus Christ has ultimately accomplished for us. Go think through again who we are as people who belong to Jesus Christ. Guys, Job didn't have this passage in Romans, but here's what he did have He had a fear of sin. He had a fear of God. Do you? If you do, let's take this New Year's resolution. That we're all going to sin less. And there are three reasons why I can keep that. I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within. I have his word at my disposal. And I am in union with Jesus Christ. Now guys, you got to understand this. Should we all make some kind of resolution, or should we all succeed in sinning? That does not mean that we're some kind of good Christians, ladies and gentlemen. My behavior does not make me a Christian, or doesn't make me a non-Christian. It. it my choosing to sin less, guys, is not going to. To alter my eternal standing with God. Um, Sinning less doesn't make God love me more. Clean living doesn't make me a Christian. Mormons are clean livers. To become a Christian, I must cast myself on the finished work of Jesus Christ. I must myself on the mercies of God as displayed in the finished work of Jesus Christ but having done that sinning less makes life work better ladies and gentlemen it, it allows me to enjoy God more Because I'm living according to design. The design that he has for his people. So. 2015 is staring staring at us, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go into it with a dread and a fear of sin. And a determination to sin less. And the good news is, because of Christ, we can keep that New Year's resolution. Our Father, I do pray that you will encourage your people and that you would remind them that we're dead to sin, that sin will, does not and will not have dominion over us, that we are to not to present our members as instruments of unrighteousness, and that we are to remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has ultimately accomplished for people as wicked as we. We are not made into Christians because we behave well or live a clean life it is because of christ's performance not ours that we have been we have been reconciled to you so now father as people already reconciled as people already made new in christ we want to commit to you that our lives this coming year are going to be more conformed to the image of christ not less oh god guard these people from the disasters that sin brings, and might we be a congregation that ultimately gives you great pleasure by avoiding sin at every turn and giving all the glory to the God who has made us brand new. We ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.